morning, my friends, and welcome to another incredible installment. From high above all other puerile and insipid forms of Wyoming mainstream media, this is Cowboy State Politics. I, of course, am your illustrious host, David Iverson, firmly ensconced behind the silver cowboy state politics microphone and broadcasting to you from the base of the Bighorns in beautiful Buffalo, Wyoming. Well, good morning, my friends, and welcome to the program. I trust that everyone had a fantastic Independence Day. It was a bit rainy and gloomy at Cowboy State Politics Northern Command. There were many, many days during the Revolution that our Founding Fathers were pretty sure the sun was never going to shine on these United States ever again. Think about the depths of winter at Valley Forge, when the vast majority of George Washington's army was dying of smallpox. Or, at the beginning of the Revolution, when they lost battle after battle after battle. Given all of that, and everything else, I for one can put up with a few clouds and some rain one day out of the year. Look at it this way, there weren't any fires started because of fireworks last night. Though, the marina at Alcova Reservoir burned to the ground yesterday seems kind of suspicious if you ask me, given all the rain that we've had. I'm sure that they'll figure it out. But anyhow, all of the rain yesterday got me thinking about something. That what happened after July 4th of 1776? A new nation had been created. They were finally telling King George how they really felt about him. While I'm sure that there was some excitement in the air, the 56 people that signed the Declaration of Independence were probably overcome with an intense sense of foreboding, for they knew exactly what type of letter they were sending to King George. It wasn't exactly a happy greeting. Rather, it was a declaration of war. So what happened after the war to those 56 people that penned their signatures to the Declaration of Independence? Had they truly pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor? Most of them died penniless, with nothing to their name. Five signers were captured by the British as traitors and tortured before they died. Twelve had their homes ransacked and burned. Two lost their sons in the Revolutionary Army. One of the signers had two sons captured. Nine of the 56 fought and died of wounds or the hardships of the Revolutionary War. Twenty-four of them were lawyers and jurists. Eleven were merchants. Nine were farmers and large plantation owners. They were men of means and they were well-educated. Their security, their incomes, and their worldly possessions made them substantially well-off. But they signed the Declaration even though they knew the penalty would be death on the gallows if they were captured. They signed, and they did pledge their lives, their fortunes, well, and their sacred honor. Carter Braxton of Virginia, a wealthy planter and trader, saw his ships swept from the seas by the British Navy. He sold his home and his properties to pay his debts, and he died in rags. Thomas McKean was so hounded by the enemy that he was forced to move his family almost constantly. He served in Congress without pay, and his family was kept in hiding. His possessions were taken from him, and his poverty was his reward. Vandals or soldiers or both looted the properties of Ellery Clymer, Hall, Walton, Gwinnett, Hayward, Rutledge, and Middleton. At the Battle of Yorktown, Thomas Nelson Jr. noted that the British General Cornwallis had taken over his home for his headquarters. 
Nelson quietly urged George Washington to open fire on his home, which was done. The home was destroyed, and Nelson died in bankruptcy. His grave is unmarked and unknown. Francis Lewis had his home and properties destroyed. The enemy jailed his wife, and she died within a few months. John Hart was driven from his wife's bedside as she was dying. Their 13 children fled for their lives. His fields and his gristmill were laid waste. For more than a year, he lived in the forest and in caves, returning home after the war to find his wife dead and his children vanished. A few weeks later, he died from exhaustion and a broken heart. Morris and Livingston suffered similar fates. Such were the stories and sacrifices of the American Revolution. These were not wild-eyed, rabble-rousing ruffians. They were soft-spoken men of means, wealth, and education. They had security, but they valued liberty more. Standing tall, straight, and unwavering, they pledged for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Now, what I just read to you is a piece called What Price Freedom by Paul Harvey. He did an audio recording of it, which I encourage you to go look it up on YouTube. It's, it's actually really good. My point in reading all of this to you is that while yesterday we celebrated Independence Day, July 4th, 247 years ago, that document was signed, creating the United States of America. A new nation had been born, but it had not yet been won. The hard work that was required to sustain such a nation had not even begun yet. In other words, all the pomp and circumstance of yesterday is over, and it's time to get back to work. And Lord, do we have a lot of work to do. As I pointed out to you on Weekend Update, our legislators are still talking about climate change. They're under the paranoid delusion that the world is going to end if we don't do something about the climate. Don't forget what Nancy Case said about it. The, the climate crisis is so intense and so severe and so looming that we have to do something about it. And we have to do it at all expense. At your expense. Yeah, I know. That sounds a heck of a lot like the stuff he was saying about Medicaid expansion. You see, that didn't work. So now he's moved on to something new. And so has everybody else. To the cow pie in an article entitled Green Energy Grows But Fossil Fuels Still Dominate, Accounting for 81% of Global Energy, written by Kevin Keogh. Now, I know that I pick on the cow pie a lot, but there are at least a couple of people over there that have their head on straight. To the article, and I quote, Proponents of a future free of fossil fuels got some disappointing news this week. The 2023 Statistical Review of World Energy, considered the primary source of data on global energy production and consumption, shows that oil, gas, and coal continue to be the world's main source of energy, despite huge increases in renewable energy capacity. Wind and solar in 2022 saw the largest increase ever recorded in the history of the review reaching a record 12% of the total share of power generation. Solar was up 25% and wind grew 13.5%. Despite these gains in renewable energy, fossil fuels with the were the source of 82% of the world's primary energy consumption, a figure that remains largely unchanged for the past few decades. 
Primary energy includes all energy consumed. Electricity is only about 20% of the energy consumed worldwide. Transportation and industry account for the rest. End quote. Think about that just for a second. 82% of the world's energy is produced by fossil fuels. We are dumping a tremendous amount of money into green energy projects. Everywhere you look, there's new wind turbines being put up or new solar farms being built. So it really doesn't sound like we're gaining too much on the whole clean energy front. But that's just a percentage of the energy produced. It doesn't really tell you anything as to whether or not we're gaining on this whole climate change thing, even if it did exist or was a problem. The powers that be claim that it is a problem and that it does exist, so let's just go with that for a little bit. What do you want to bet? Their math doesn't work. And we'll do that after the break, but first, a completely outrageous profit timeout. Cowboy State Politics is brought to you by Morton Buildings. Summer is about a third of the way over, so you still have some time to talk to Nick and Jesse at Morton Buildings about that metal building you've been thinking about for your property. It doesn't really matter what you have in mind, whether it's a garage or a barn or maybe a roping arena so you can practice your rodeo stuff when it's 20 below zero, or maybe even a giant warehouse for your business. You should really give them a call. They're the experts in metal building construction. Uh, here's their phone number, 307-674-2532. Or if you're one of those people that just likes to get online, you can look at their website at mortonbuildings.com. Gunrunner Auctions is one of the nation's leading online auction houses in the country, and they're celebrating their 25th year. If you're a firearms enthusiast like me and you like rare military weapons or Winchesters or Colts, then you should really go look at GunRunnerAuctions.com. They specialize in estate auctions. Now, the first thing that the owner, Scott Weber, does is he travels to the estate and appraises the firearms for the heirs. And then he takes them to his Cody auction facility where he and his team research them, sometimes getting factory letters from the Cody Museum about each firearm's history. Every month, beginning on the 7th, Scott and his team post 500 fine firearms for sale. They've sold the personal collections of Elvis Presley, Steve McQueen, Alex McCord, Herb Parsons, and that's just to name a few of them. They only charge 15% for selling your precious firearms, and all of their auctions start at 20 bucks with no reserve. So if you've been thinking about getting a new firearm, then you should really go look at GunRunnerAuctions.com. And now, back to the program. There's another article by Kevin Keogh in the Cowpie entitled, Wyoming Ranked Least Green State in the Nation as Other States Use Its Fossil Fuel Energy. And I quote, Consumer Affairs, a consumer protection publication, has released its annual rankings for the greenest states in the United States, and Wyoming is dead last for emissions per capita and emissions per megawatt hour of electricity produced. 
Despite average scores for waste generation per capita and the one of the top scores for percentage of renewable energy generated, Wyoming's high emissions landed at last in the rankings of the green states. According to Consumer Affairs, Wyoming produced 68.55 tons of carbon dioxide per capita in Wyoming in 2021. This is nearly double that of the highest state, West Virginia, which had 36.05 tons per capita. Per capita means per unit of population. And Consumer Affairs is fond of the number 100,000. So usually when they say that, they mean whatever figure they give you times 100,000 people. So in the Cowboy State, there's 558,000 people that live here. So your factor that you would multiply that by is 5.58. And the reason they use this whole per capita thing is so that they can include all states in their report. Because if they didn't, the numbers that they would cite would be pretty much negligible. To give you another example of this, when the Bureau of Crime Statistics puts out a report on murders, they try to include every state. Well, there aren't that many murders in Wyoming, so they use this whole per capita thing to make the number statistically significant so that they can include it in their report. In other words, in the Consumer Affairs report, the number comes out bigger than if they were to report CO2 generated by one person. That number would be insignificant. To get away from all this math mumbo-jumbo that they're trying to throw at you, let's just talk about this in real terms. The report says 68.55 metric tons per capita. Well, there are 5.58 per capitas in Wyoming, which means that we generate about 382 metric tons of CO2. Each metric ton has 2,204 pounds. Yeah, I know, the rest of the world doesn't know how to work in pounds like we do. Anyway, that means that we produce 841,928 pounds of CO2 every year. Huh. That seems like a really big number, and it would be if you didn't know anything about this. So let's talk about trees for a minute. Each fully grown adult tree consumes 40 pounds of CO2 each year. So if you divide out the 841,000 pounds of CO2 we produce by 40 per tree, that means to take care of every bit of CO2 produced in the state of Wyoming, we'd need 21,048 trees. Now there are anywhere between 100 and 200 trees per acre. So let's just go with the number 150, just to be fair, stay in the middle, you know what I mean? That means we need 140 acres of trees. It just so happens that in Wyoming, we have 9.8 million acres of trees. If you do the math on that, that means there's a pro approximately 1.47 billion trees that are standing in the cowboy state right now. And if you multiply that times 40 pounds of CO2 per tree, that means right now, without doing anything, we are consuming 58.8 billion pounds of CO2 or 2,667,876 metric tons of CO2 each year. Back to the article in the cow pie for just a second. The Consumer Affairs Report says that we produce 68.55 metric tons per capita each year. And we already corrected that, so we know that the whole state only produces 382 metric tons every year. 
but we consume 2,667,876 metric tons of CO2 each year, or we are consuming 6,983% more than we produce. Somebody ought to tell our governor and Nancy Case that we're already carbon negative without doing a darn thing. What was it Nancy said again? The, the climate crisis is so intense and so severe and so looming that we have to do something about it. And we have to do it at all expense. Good news, Nancy. I've already solved this climate crisis for you. You can relax, sit back, and drink your Medicaid expansion Kool-Aid once again and give this whole climate change business a rest. None of this climate change bullcrap actually makes any sense. Even when you use their numbers, they're just counting on it that you're not going to do the math and you're not going to do your own research. They think that you're just going to lap up everything that they tell you because they're elected officials. They're the ones in power. And obviously everything they say is the truth. Mark Gordon says that we're going to be carbon negative by 2050. But we already are without doing anything. The truth is, we don't have to put up a single solar panel or erect a single windmill. We don't have to do anything. And the amount of CO2 that this state consumes takes care of what we produce and several other states. So anybody that utters the words climate change, you should completely disregard everything that they say because they're lying from the very beginning. It's either that or they're monumentally ignorant. How could you possibly believe something when there literally are mountains of evidence that prove you wrong? If you expand our math by five states and include Idaho, Colorado, Michigan, Virginia, and Kentucky, they consume 254,537,000 metric tons of CO2 each year. And that's not even including the bigger states. But if you believe their math, and you absolutely have no reason to do that, but if you do, those five states take care of one quarter of all of the CO2 they say is being produced by the United States every year. All of this climate change stuff is one big shell game. It's an attempt to fleece you of more of your money, to scare you into supporting a cause that is only going to enrich people who are already enormously wealthy. And in doing so, it is one giant wealth redistribution scheme. They're taking your tax dollars, spending it on things that we don't need, and giving it to large corporations. And there's a lot of people in Wyoming that are pushing climate change, or at least asking you to pay for it. They're either ignorant or they're lying to you. There is no other choice. Because the math that they're relying on to convince you to do something doesn't work. But there again, that's why I have a job. To do the math for you and tell you why you shouldn't believe anything that's coming out of Mark Gordon or Nancy Case's mouth. Well, that'll about do it for today's installment of the program. Don't forget about tomorrow's live episode, which begins at 10 a.m. I'll post the link at CowboyStatePolitics.com and on the Cowboy State Politics Facebook page. But for now, from the base of the Bighorns, in beautiful Buffalo, Wyoming, I'm David Iverson, and this is the one and only Cowboy State Politics. <laughs> <laughs>